0: Well, as we come to God's word this morning, we come to a new year. And if you have been with us for a few years or so, you'll know that at the start of every year, we introduce a church theme. And for this year, our church theme is entitled simply God's Church. You can see it on the screen there, God's Church. Uh, We look at themes throughout the year, or a theme, and we focus the special events of our ministries, our summer sermon series, our resource center, around that particular topic. Why? Because we seek to grow and mature as followers of Christ. That is our mission statement here at EBC. If something, if you see something long enough, you don't see it anymore. Well, when you walk through those doors, you look to your left, you see our mission statement. Our mission statement is to grow, mature, and send disciples of Jesus Christ. Everything we do as a church body is to grow more like Christ, is to develop the mind of Christ, to love Christ, to obey Him. It's a mission statement driven by Paul's statement above me in Colossians chapter one, Again, we see it every week. We might not see it because it's so familiar. But the reminder is this, we proclaim him. We exalt Christ. Above all else, we point you to Jesus and all that we do, whether it be through our prayers, our singing, the preaching, we proclaim him. Why? So that we, And here it refers to the leaders of the church. Here it's the leadership at EBC, so that we may present you, future tense, present you. That's the Bema seat of Christ. That is the day, that final day, when we stand before our Savior and he evaluates our work as elders, as leadership here at the church. And on that day, we long to present you to Christ, present every man complete, fully matured in your sanctification in Jesus. That is the desire, that is the prayer of each elder and staff member and ministry leader here. We long for your sanctification. We long for your spiritual growth, your Christ-likeness. And one way we seek to accomplish this goal is by collaborating together as elders, then as staff, prayerfully considering where we are as a church and what areas the Lord would have us grow, and then focusing each of those overall ministries, from the youth, from the children to the youth, to the adults, from worship to equipping, to the home discipleship groups, focusing all of those efforts all of those ministries around a certain theme, a particular area of spiritual growth we as a church body can grow in. And then we plan that upcoming year around that theme and for that goal. And so this year's theme, God's church, this year's theme continues to build on the strides we have made over the last two years at HBC. It's been wonderful to see how the Lord has worked. Years ago, we focused on growing a culture of discipleship. The need to see the value of application of God's word, not only for ourselves, but then to intentionally and selflessly devote ourselves to others in those one-on-one discipleship relationships. And certainly the Lord blessed that teaching in that year. It was a call that then continued into last year and the theme of discipleship now, not one-on-one, but discipleship in community. We broadened our discipleship theme and we recognize the dangers of being an isolated rogue Christian. We saw all of those one another commands throughout the New Testament. Our sanctification throughout the New Testament, our sanctification is always placed within a community effort. We need one another. We need one another. And again, it was wonderful to see how the Lord blessed those discipling efforts. Well, that brings us to our theme for this year. This year. Where we now want to define the community God uses. Define the community God uses to not only grow his people into the image of Christ but the community God uses as the primary primary vehicle for bringing his gospel to this world. And that vehicle is God's church. It is the local church. We're not talking about the generalized, unorganized, invisible, universal church that is made up of every believer throughout the world. And it is huge. This is the local church. This is the visible manifestation of the invisible people of God. This is the organized assembly in a localized place consisting of God's people who have not only committed themselves to Christ, that's the universal church, believers committing themselves to Christ, but the local church is a body of believers who have formally committed themselves to one another, to God's people. As you trace the word church throughout the New Testament, what you find is that the far majority of uses of church refers to this local assembly, far majority. Romans 16, greet the church that is in their house. That's a localized assembly. Localized people who meet together and worship together and come under God's word together and take care of one another together. Think of 1 Corinthians, a letter written specifically to the church of God, which is universal, no. Undefined, no. To the church of God, which is a localized body at Corinth. That letter then concludes with these words, the churches of Asia greet you. And notice the plural here. This is not one universal church that greets. This is now churches. Plural, individual local assemblies. Each of them being a visible expression of God's work of salvation. Each of them being organized and defined As a community of believers, again, committed to Christ, yes. We must go beyond that, also committed to one another. 1 Corinthians 16. Our Totaquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house, another local assembly. And then this note, all the brethren greet you. Well, how did Paul know who these brethren were? Answer, they were the ones a part of a local, local, organized, defined, visible assembly. You cannot read the New Testament and fail to see how precious and necessary the local church is. And yet... What do we see in our day of individualized Christianity and self-focused religion? Well, we see an aversion to this local assembly idea. We see this not only by the world, that should be expected, but amazingly, we see this aversion from those who call themselves Christians, quote-unquote believers, see an organized local church as a stifling of the work of the Spirit or a hindrance to their spiritual maturity. Quote-unquote believers who think they can have church at the ocean or church in the woods or church by yourself on a couch in front of a screen. In fact, this church-less church Christian movement is clearly seen in this book by Kelly Bean. It is entitled how to be Christian without going to church. The unofficial guide to alternative forms of Christian community. And if you're wondering, this is not a book of the quarter. Okay, we will not be selling this here. I want you to listen to some of the endorsements on this book, each of these endorsements from professed Christian leaders. First endorsement, the author's invitation is to a non-church faith. And it is a radical examination about what it means to be intentionally oriented to the life of Christ in community. That's odd. It's a radical examination. Why? Because you do not see this anywhere in the New Testament. It's radical, it's different. But the endorsement here is to have a faithfulness to Christ without being faithful to his people. That's the call. Here's another endorsement. Alarming numbers of people are leaving the church. For some, this is a loss to mourn. But for others, this represents an amazing opportunity to pursue a a more authentic and embodied faith. It's an amazing statement. What should you do, according to the book, what should you do to be free to have a more authentic Christian faith? Answer, free yourself from a local assembly. Another endorsement, in a changing landscape of spirituality and church, this book offers a fresh breath of hope and possibility for our future as Christ followers. What is the breath of fresh air? It is a churchless Christianity. It's radical. It's amazing. Why? Because nowhere in the New Testament do you find a churchless Christian. Nowhere. And though we may be shocked by these words and though we will never sell the book or hopefully read the book, this is the trajectory of American evangelicalism. This is the trajectory Listen to two recent statistics. The first is this, 30% of pastors, 30% of pastors consider regular attendance. Okay, so this is the faithful within the church, regular attendance. These are gospel to this world. we will kick it off this morning by looking at just how precious the local church is, just how Precious, and this is a preciousness that cannot be overemphasized. There's a uniqueness to the local church that compels us to be formally committed to it, active in it. There's a matchless quality that is seen by the rich metaphors used throughout the New Testament to describe the local church. One person counted over 85 metaphors In the New Testament to describe the church, we will only look at five of them, five of these metaphors. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, nothing in the world is dearer to God's heart than his church. Nothing in the world is dearer to God's heart than his church. I ask you, how dear to your heart is this local assembly? Why is nothing dear to God's heart? Let's begin with metaphor number one. Metaphor number one the local church is precious because it is the body of Christ. It is the body of Christ. This was Paul's favorite distinction when describing the local church. Ephesians 1 He, God the Father, gave him, his son, as head over all things to the church. Certainly universal, he's writing here to the Ephesians. This is the local church, and this church is his body, Christ's body, Ephesians 4. He, now speaking of the ascended Christ, he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Why? Why these gifts? It is to the building up of the body of Christ, the church. Colossians 1, Christ is head of the body defined. This is the church. The church is not a Christianized version of the Elks Club. It's far more than that. This is not a social gathering. This is not an entertainment center. The church is not merely a building. The church is a group of people working in harmony together like a body with Christ as our head. We are under his direction, his authority, and we are so united to our savior that we can be called his body. The visible representation of Christ here on earth as he sits at the Father's right hand. One pastor theologian put it this way, the Lord Jesus is more than simply with his church. He is in his church and his church is in him. The church is the living manifestation of Jesus Christ that pulses with the eternal life of God. The Lord can be no more separated from his church than a head can be separated from its body. Why is EBC precious to God? It is because we are united to his son, corporately. Just think of how united the church is to Christ. In Acts 9, you have the ascended Jesus who stops Paul in his tracks. It was Saul at the time, persecuting Christians. And the question that Jesus asks is Is Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? What's the next word? Me. Why are you persecuting me? That's how close the church is to her savior. That's the unity we together share with Jesus. To persecute Jesus or to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus. Well, let's bring that same application to us. Application in our Americanized, evangelical, local churches optional. The committed are 25 or 50% of the time here. Let's ask the question this way. Christian, why do you neglect Jesus by disregarding his church? Or Christian, why do you devalue Christ by esteeming the things of this world as more pressing, more important, more interesting than his church? Or Christian, why do you withhold love from Jesus? Why do you withhold love from Jesus by withholding love from his people. Local church is precious because it is Christ's body. And we are so united to Jesus that we are the visible manifestation of Christ in this world. It's the first metaphor, metaphor number two. And this will answer the how question now, the how question, how... Are we united to Christ? Why can we be called his body? That union. Answer, metaphor number two, the local church is precious because it is also the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple of the Holy Spirit. And so often we think of this temple imagery in an individualized way. We, The individual is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our physical body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is true. That is right. But in 1 Corinthians 3, this temple imagery is used to describe not the individual Christian. The temple imagery is used to describe the corporate, local body. So listen to the passage, 1 Corinthians 3. Do... You, and the you here is in the plural, not you in the singular. Do you, you, all of you, the corporate group, do you corporately together, you're referring to the Corinthian church, do you, let's make it more personal, do you, Emmanuel Baptist church, know that you are a temple We're not the only temple out there. We are a temple. Why? There's other churches, other local assemblies. And why does Paul call call the local church a temple? Because, continuing the verse, because the spirit of God dwells in you. That's why. The implications of this temple metaphor for the local church are immense, immense. I'll give you two of them. We'll build on this as the year progresses. But here are two implications of us as a church body being the temple of the Spirit. First implication is this. The local church is the residence of God himself. EBC is the residence of God himself. In the Old Testament, it was in the temple where God dwelled. In the Old Testament, it was in the temple where God's Shekinah glory rested. Think of Exodus 40. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, precursor to the temple. Why? Because the cloud of glory had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Second Chronicles 7, the glory of the Lord filled the house. So much so, the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord. We read it earlier, Psalm 29, in his temple everything says what? Holy glory. It is true, God is everywhere. That is true. Omnipresent. But God dwells differently in different places. And in the old testament, the supreme manifestation of his glory was his. Temple. It's where God's glory rested. Well, Paul now, bringing all of that imagery to bear in this passage, Paul now pictures for us the church as a temple. Out of everywhere in this world, out of everywhere in this world, God dwells through his spirit most supremely within his local church assembly. So let that sink in. It's precious. We each are filled with the spirit and then we gather corporately together. Wayne Mack put it this way, if you want to be where God is, if you want to be where his spirit lives, where his glory resides, you need to be in his church. For that is where he dwells. As the temple of the spirit, the church is the residence of God. Second implication, the local church is also where God communicates to his people. The local church is also where God communicates to his people. Again, this is what the tabernacle temple imagery points to. Exodus 29, here's what God promises. I will meet you there at the tabernacle. I will meet you and then he says this, to speak to you there. i speak to you there. God's presence is mediated through his word. Where his word is, God is. Here, the word was at the tabernacle. And so God was there. Later, it would be in the temple. The same idea then is carried over into the New Testament by Paul. The local church, this is why the ascended Christ sends pastors and teachers to his people. It's Ephesians 4, gifts from Christ. Why do you teach? To proclaim the word. This is why Paul commanded Timothy to preach the word in season, out of of season. Doesn't matter the time. Preach the word, proclaim it. That's why Paul commanded Timothy, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and what? And to teaching. Each of those commands are given in a local church context. In fact, this is why the New Testament writings, so let's go back to the first century. Let's go back to the writings of Romans or Ephesians, Philippians, all that New Testament revelation was sent where? Where? to local churches. So he sent to the church. In the first century, if you were going to hear God's word, you had to be a part of a local assembly. The implication is this. If you want to hear God speak, yes, it is true. He will speak to you through his word individually. You study it, you read it yourself, that is true. The tenor of the New Testament is if you want to hear God speak then be a part of the New Testament temple, a faithful local assembly where God's word is read and preached and taught. Again, to quote Dick Mayhew, the church is a spiritual edifice. The abode of the Holy Spirit, the place where God's glory is manifested most clearly on earth, and watch this, and the nucleus of spiritual instruction. The church is precious because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Third metaphor. Third metaphor. The local church is precious because it is the household of God. It's also the household of God. Listen to Ephesians 2. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So from institutional temple language to loving, caring, family promises. 1 Timothy 3, I am writing these things to you so that you, be specific here, you believers who are part of a local church context so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God which is the church of the living God. And again, the implications are immense. For one, this imagery, this metaphor, reminds us of God's gracious adoption. God's gracious adoption. Every time, every time we come together as a church family, as a household... It is a visible display of God's adopting grace. A visible display of God's adopting grace. It is a reminder of the highest and most precious blessing of the gospel and that is adoption into his family. This is a reminder. Listen to J.I. Packer. He says this, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher than even justification. This may cause a raising of eyebrows. Nonetheless, careful thought will show the truth of the statement we have just made. So you have adoption, justification. That justification by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past together with his acceptance for the future, that is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel, that is not in question. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. We all stand under God's judgment. So we need forgiveness of our sins more than anything else in the world. But this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God it involves. Justification is a forensic idea conceived in terms of law and viewing God as judge. We're declared righteous, but God is judge. The relationship is us to God as judge. But contrast this now with adoption. Adoption is a family idea. Conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing but to be loved and cared for by God, the Father is greater. And every time we come together as a church family, we are reminded of this precious gift. We're reminded of this highest blessing. We have not been saved into isolation. We've been saved into a family, into a family of God. This is God's adopting grace. one reason why we must come together corporately. Why? Because we will default to thinking of ourselves as merely an individual, not part of a family. Second implication is this, to be a part of God's family that humbles us with our fellow believers. Does anyone need to be humbled? Or we got that, right? Got that. Just think of all the places in the New Testament where where believers are referred to as brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, family, sibling language. This is so key to our maturity because one of the reasons we are commanded to gather as a church family is to be reminded, constantly reminded that no believer has a greater standing before the Lord. No believer has a greater standing before the Lord. We're part, of, we're siblings. We're part of the family. Oh, but you don't get that with churchless, individualized Christianity. When we gather together, we cannot help but recognize that we are spiritual siblings, that we are fellow heirs, fellow heirs with Christ, fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers. We're in this together of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. If you neglect the local church, you are neglecting one of the most effective means the Spirit uses to break our pride. The most effective means to shatter our selfish individualism. Local church is precious because it is the household of God. Leads into metaphor number four. Metaphor number four. Aren't you glad we're not going through 85 of them this morning? (laughs) The local church is precious because it is the flock of God. The flock of God. Think of Paul's instructions to the Ephesian elders, Acts 20. Wonderful passage. Acts 20, be on guard, he says. Be on guard for who? For all the flock. He's speaking to the elders of the church, Ephesian church. Be on guard. This is your responsibility, leaders. For all the flock. And who is the flock? The church of God, the Ephesian local church. And then this statement, it is the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Think of Peter's words in 1 Peter 5. I exhort the elders of the local assembly. I exhort the elders, shepherd, shepherd the flock of God among you. Flock of God here, it's a word picture. It's meant to emphasize the shepherd's intimate care and love for his people. Shepherds would call their sheep by names, kind of like what we do with dogs here. In the States, So shepherds would call their sheep by name. They would see something unique to the the sheep, like spotty or something, and call the sheep by spotty, and the sheep would respond to the voice of their shepherd. It was a tender care, a love. To be the flock of God reminds us of our shepherd's care, but it also reminds us of our feebleness. how prone we are like sheep, how prone we are to wander from the fold. It's a reminder of how much we each need the under shepherds. Christ is the chief shepherd. He gives under shepherds to the local assembly. Shepherd the flock of God among you. The sheep need it. If there's anything this metaphor teaches, it is that like sheep, we are not self-sufficient. Like sheep, we need to be cared for and fed and guarded and bandaged when we fall and brought back into the fold when we stray. Think of Jesus' commission to Peter, John 21, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. But the tendency of our day is to discount our need for the local church, that's the tendency. We might think I can feed myself. It's me and my Bible, Holy Spirit, I can feed myself. I can guard myself, I can care for myself, but that's not how humble sheep think. And that's not how the chief shepherd has designed the Christian life to be lived. So every time we gather together, we gather as a flock, we are reminded that Christ and Christ alone is our chief shepherd. He cares for us. He loves us. He guards us. But how does he do this? He has sent the local flock under shepherds. He's given those leaders this responsibility to pray for you and guide you and feed you and guard you. Church is precious because it is a flock of God, finally. Metaphor number five. The local church is precious because it is the pillar and support of the truth. It is the pillar and support of the truth. And this metaphor explains the main calling of EBC. This is the main calling. We could do 10,000 different things here at the church. This is the main calling. And we end here, this is the theme verse for the year. You see it on the bulletin. 1 Timothy 3.15, where Paul describes the church of the living God, he describes the church as the pillar and support of the truth. And this pillar support imagery is drawn from a temple building. In fact, this would have been extremely vivid for Timothy. He was pastoring in Ephesus. That's the city that housed the temple dedicated to the Greek goddess Diana. Diana's temple was beautiful. It contained 127 marble pillars. Each of them studded with jewels, overlaid with gold. Primary purpose, though, was not for beauty. That was secondary. The primary purpose of those pillars was to uphold the roof of the temple. And that's the picture Paul wants Timothy to have in mind here when he thinks about the Ephesian church. The picture we need to have in mind when we think about Emmanuel Baptist Church. Why was the Ephesian church in Ephesus? Why was the Ephesian church in Ephesus answer? To uphold the truth of God's word in its entirety. It was an area filled with paganism and idolatry. It's not hard to make the application. Why is EBC in Skagit Valley? To be the unshakable pillar and immovable support of Christ's gospel. That's our calling. Again, we could do and teach 10,000 different things. leads to an obvious implication. A faithful church is a local assembly that proclaims the scriptures rightly and with boldness. A faithful local assembly refuses to compromise its message. It safeguards the treasure of the gospel it has been given. And it is unashamed of its savior. That's the faithful church. It's a faithful church that upholds the truth in every area of its life. It prays the truth. It sings the truth, preaches the truth, hears the truth, cherishes the truth, guards the truth, shares the truth, obeys the truth, and applies the truth. And the promise is this, where God's word is proclaimed in that local assembly, that is where God is, where God's word is, God is. And that is the assembly that will be used in the area where it finds itself, no matter how wicked or how pagan that area is. That is the church that God will use to bring his gospel where it needs to go. That is the church that will sanctify its people. God is united together. Far from being an optional part of God's gospel work within this world, The local church is the primary means God uses to send his message throughout the world while also sanctifying his people into the image of Christ. Wayne Grudem summarizes it well. Each of the metaphors used for the church can help us appreciate more of the richness of privilege that God has given us by incorporating us into the church. The fact that the church is like a family should increase our love and fellowship with one another. The picture of the church as God's new temple should increase our awareness of God's very presence dwelling in our midst as we meet. The metaphor of the church as the body of Christ should increase our interdependence on one another and our appreciation of the diversity of gifts within the body. To which we could also add the two other metaphors, the image of the church as God's flock is a needed reminder of the shepherding care of our savior. The metaphor of the church as a pillar spurs us to fulfill our primary calling of proclaiming the gospel of our God. No wonder Spurgeon said, nothing in the world is dearer to God's heart than his church. Again, how dear to your heart is this local assembly? So our goal for this year, our goals is for each of us to grow in our love for and commitment to the people of God here, that he's united together to not only understand what a faithful church is, but also to be an active part of a healthy church and to become a more intentional, more even committed church member. For some of you, that might mean becoming a member of EBC, becoming a more intentional and committed church member. Why? All for the glory of the God who purchased this church with his own blood. Father, we are thankful that we have a gospel that unites us together. And there is a spirit that you have sent to indwell us and unite us in one purpose, in one message to one God. Thank you that there is a diversity of people within this congregation, different ages, socioeconomic rungs. Thank you for that. Thank think you have, you have brought us together and yet you have done it for a purpose, for impact not only in our own lives, in sanctification, but impact in this valley. Cause us, Lord, to appreciate this place, these people around us our prayers that you would use us for the glory of your name we pray this in Christ's name amen